This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Constantly reducing maternal mortality, constantly reducing neonatal mortality, underfied mortality. That's really the metric that drives our foundation. That's billionaire Bill Gates saying he is ready to support African efforts to develop innovative approaches to confront hunger, disease and poverty. Details coming up. Also, the Global Climate Change Conference is extended. Children have become separated from their families, fleeing rebels advancing on DRC city of Goma. An excitement builds for the start of the Soccer World Cup. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The COP27 Global Climate Summit in Egypt is winding down. VOA's Heather Murdoch is on the phone line from Sharm al-Sheikh to update us on the latest. Hello, Heather. Welcome back to Africa News Tonight. Thank you. So I guess the major news today is that the talks have been expe- extended by one day. Why is that? They've extended by one day because they have not come to an agreement um, that they were, or they were hoping to make by Friday night. So they simply haven't finished the work that they promised to do. It's still a very tight deadline to try to come to an agreement on something that so many parties are so far away from um, by tomorrow. But, you know, we're hoping still. So could you elaborate on some of the key sticking points? Sure. The main sticking point is the issue of loss and damage. This was an issue brought to the table from the beginning of this conference. Everyone knew it would be a thorny issue, but it's important, and it's the first time that world powers are talking about it. Um, basically, it means how are we going to have rich countries, countries that produce the most carbon emissions, pay for poorer countries that suffer the most from these emissions and from this climate change. Um, and so far, there hasn't been a deal made. The European Commission did make an offer for a kind of fund um, and saying that this is their final offer, and several countries have, have signed on to say that they will help fund it. Um, but it still hasn't been agreed on formally because there are some issues. Some countries say it is not a, a, a good deal because it ties funding to emissions. So it includes emerging economies having to pay into the funding. It's not what was wanted from the beginning, which was a pure fund to pay for the people on the front lines of climate change suffering the most. And the world is getting warmer. Can you talk a little about warming temperatures uh, increasing, and if so, by how much? Yes. Well, they did. One thing that was agreed at this conference was to keep the language in from the Paris Agreement in Glasgow to uh, have, keep the goal of the world warming to a maximum of 2.2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, with the goal being no more than 1.5. This goal, 1.5 degrees, we are nowhere on track to meet this goal. And currently, we're about 1.1 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and we are seeing unprecedented fires and floods, heat waves, 
and other climate-related disasters. So, as you can imagine, 1.5 degrees, which is the aspirational goal that we're not even close to actually meeting, um, or meeting as in keeping that to be the upper limits, um, that's going to include far more disasters. So, no matter how you spin it, it is a heartbreaking thing, but we are still hoping that they, the world powers can limit global warming enough to avoid the greatest disasters, um, such as the entire uh, destruction of all coral reefs and glaciers and countries and cities around the world. So the UN Climate Conference in Egypt, uh, like I mentioned earlier, has been extended until Saturday. What are the expectations for the continued talks? Will an agreement be reached? It's really up in the air. The president of the conference and also the UN Secretary General, they both commented that we are almost out of time and that the parties are uh, the Global North and Global South or the industrialized countries and, and the developing countries um, aren't, aren't trusting each other, aren't working together as they should have been from the beginning. So there's a lot of talk that this might not happen. However, it is hopeful that they did extend, and they're giving it another day, which does indicate that perhaps they're moving a little bit further toward the deal that might happen. VOA's Heather Murdoch at the COP27 summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. Thank you for your input. Thank you. The chairman of Sudan's Transitional Sovereign Council, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, has strongly warned politicians that interference in the army's affairs in an effort to take power will not be tolerated. Joseph Siegel, director of research at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, discussed what the statement means with VOA senior analyst Mohamed al-Shinawi. I think it means several things, and it's targeting different audiences. The first is that he is signaling to factions that were seen as having been supportive of the former al-Bashir government that the military isn't going to be open for manipulation as it was in the past. And so this is a signal that he may be communicating to the Islamists and Baathists. Now, it's a somewhat muddled message because Burhan has been seen as bringing these actors back in to his military-led government since the coup in October of 2021, uh, ostensibly as a way of building up his political support. Now, his statement may also be directed toward the civilians, on the one hand, assuring that he is committed to not allowing these other actors, which were seen as highly destructive and, and corrupt, and politicized back into government. But, you know, I think he's also signaling to the civilians that he's looking for an outcome where military institutions and the chain of command will remain intact in any subsequent civilian-led transition, and that the military will continue to play a respective role in Sudanese society. The tripartite mechanism, the UN, African Union, and the Intergovernment Authority on Development continued consultations with political forces in Sudan. The Sudanese Professionals Association backed the mechanism effort and stressed that the remnants of the former regime should not take part in the transitional period. What could this mechanism lead anyway in Sudan? 
the mechanism is an interesting one. Uh, it involves the United Nations, African Union, and EGAD, you know, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development within East Africa. And so it demonstrates a commitment at three levels of the international community, the, the East Africa regional level, the African Union continental level, and then the international level through the UN that you know, there's broad commitment and buy-in to a responsible, credible transition in Sudan. I think it's particularly important that there are there's strong African ownership in the negotiation process. So, you know, any outcome will be seen as, you know, having a lot of African agency and, and uh, you know, and it helps guard against external manipulation or exploitation of the process. And so, you know, in general, it, it brings credibility to the these negotiations and and is signaling to both the military and civilians that you know they need to engage you know with good faith efforts to try to find a solution and that you know their interests their concerns will be considered you know through this tripartite mechanism i think potentially it also then sets up any agreement for a greater level of international support, that there will be high-level credibility and therefore all levels who've partaken will commit to seeing it through and serve as a guarantor to ensure that all sides hold up their end of the bargain, whatever's agreed to. That was Joseph Siegel at Africa Center for Strategic Studies. He spoke with my colleague, Mohammed Al-Shinawi. Microsoft co-founder and billionaire philanthropist Bill Gates has reaffirmed his commitment to Africa, promising to work with countries to support breakthrough solutions in health, agriculture and other critical areas. From the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. Bill Gates, co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, told the reporters his foundation will spend more than seven billion US dollars over the next four years to support African countries and institutions working to develop innovative approaches to confront hunger, disease and poverty. Gates spoke late Thursday in Nairobi on his first trip to Africa since the COVID nineteen pandemic began. He said the new commitment is in addition to existing funding to multilateral organizations, including Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. What we counted in the $7 billion is actually delivery programs, you know, buying vaccines for Africa, buying paying for R&D to have better seeds here in Africa. That covers health and agriculture. Nigeria, of course, is in that $7 billion. And Nigeria would be the largest of our sub-Saharan spending, you know, just because of population greater than 250 million. You know, there's just a lot of children born, a lot of things to be done there. The billionaire philanthropist said these resources have helped strengthen health systems and increase access to health care in African countries, contributing to dramatic reductions in the rate of child deaths from diseases such as diarrhea, pneumonia, malaria, and measles. Constantly reducing maternal mortality, constantly reducing neonatal mortality, under five mortality. That's really the metric that drives our foundation. We're very proud we're part of the movement with many other partners that during this century, Child mortality has been cut in half, from 10 million children dying a year 
to less than five million a year in dying. Now during the pandemic, that number's been flat, so we're, we need to get back to that improvement curve. This week, Gates spent time visiting primary health care centers, medical facilities, and agricultural research institutes to learn from Kenyan and regional partners about programs and approaches that are succeeding and about remaining obstacles. One area of success has been in reducing child deaths. Kenya happens to match that global percentage going from 8% under 5 death rate to now about a 4% under five death rate. And that's, it's the pneumococcus vaccine, the diarrhea vaccine, it's the malaria bed nets, it's the nutrition. All of those things have come together to create really fantastic progress. The latest commitment from the Gates Foundation comes as the world grapples with overlapping crises that are worsening hunger, malnutrition, and poverty for millions. Even before the war in Ukraine disrupted the global food system, African countries were facing severe climate shocks, including droughts, locusts, and flooding. Today, 278 million people across Africa suffer from chronic hunger, with more than 37 million people facing acute hunger in the Horn of Africa alone. COVID-19 has also caused significant setbacks in immunization and stored decades of progress made in combating HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. In the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo, M23 rebels have been advancing and occupying part of Rutshuru territory in North Kivu province for the past week. To escape the danger, more than 70,000 displaced people have settled in Niratongo's territory north of the city of Goma. Many children have become separated from their families during the flight and do not know who to count on in the displaced camps. Hear more from reporter Zanem Neti Zaidi. In Kayembe camps located in Niragongo territory near the city of Goma, more than 2,000 households are living in degrading humanitarian conditions. Children are the biggest victims, especially those who have fled without their parents. According to David, secretary of the IDP camp, it is difficult to count the cases of children without parents because of the lack of what he calls logistics, a large team to weave notebooks, pens and other materials to record data. He says that it is difficult to count the children who are in the camp because they do not have enough materials. He says that there are children who have come from Bunagana, Tamugenga, Ruchuru and Rugari. He says that the children are scattered and there are many who have fled without their parents. Kahambu, 14, is one of the children. She was separated from her parents when the M23 fighters took over the town of Ruchuru Centre. She is trying to survive with the help of young people from Goma who come to prepare porridge for the children every morning. She has been trying to find her parents 
for 10 days without success. She describes one evening when she was waiting for the incessant gunfire to end in Ruchuru town. Many people started to flee. She was coming from the market where her parents had sent her when she arrived home. She found that everyone had left. She then went in the same direction that everyone else was taking until she ended up in this camp. Child rights activists are calling on the Congolese government and organizations to urgently come to their aid to prevent the wars. Vanessa Kilangi is one of the activists. She says she is asking for help from the government and also from other humanitarian groups that are there. She says that there are many children who will not be able to survive on their own amid a persistent conflict that's continuing to deteriorate. According to UNICEF, more than 119 children have been separated from their families or guardians in the confusion and chaos of the ongoing displacements so far. The humanitarian organization has managed to reunite 80 of them with their families in Niragongo territory alone. For VOA News, I'm Zanem Letizaidi in Goma. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Just before the start of the World Cup, the Senegal national team has learned Sadio Mani will not be with them. A knee injury has knocked the star of the Taranga Lions off the team's list. What is the Senegal World Cup team worth without Sadio Mani? The answer in this report from our correspondent in Dakar, Saidin Abagwai, narrated by VOA's Adil Akram. Top scorer in the history of the national selection and second in the 2022 Golden Ball, Sadio Mane is at the zenith of his career. Considered the soul of the Senegal national team, the Bambali native is involved in more than 50% of the national team's goals when he plays. What is Senegal without Sadio Mane worth? For former Lions and members of the National Football Technical Department, the answer is simple. To see what the team is worth without Sadio, the other players must assert themselves. Yatma Diop is a legendary former Senegal international player. Sadio, c'est vrai, c'est une valeur. Sadio, it is true, it's an international value, but if he doesn't play, he can't play. The others will do the job. Maybe if he was there, it would be a plus. But that does not mean that because he's absent, that Senegal can't achieve results. If that is it, it's not worth it. It's not a team. Dembe Mbai, the coach of Senegal's under-23 national team, thinks other team members will make up the gap. Yes, he's an attacking player. But as the coach said in his press conference, he's a group. And I think that at the attacking level, we have quality attackers. And so I trust them, whether it's Bulaye or Iliman or all the others, to make up for the absence. Some sports fans worry about the consistency of the Lions' offense without Mane. Mor Basin Niang is a journalist with Jolof Sports in Senegal. I do not see the line of attack capable of carrying this team in so far as Ismail Sar, as well as Bulaye Dia and Farmara Didu are not consistent in their performances. 
I also give the example of Bamba Diang, who plays little with Olympic de Marcel. So if Sadio does not participate in this World Cup, it will be very difficult for Senegal to go beyond even the round of 16. Top scorer in the history of the Lions of Teranga. With 34 goals, Sadio Mane has been involved in 12 of Senegal's last 25 goals in the Africa Cup of Nations and the World Cup. His withdrawal from the team will be a blow to many who have rested all their hopes for Senegal in the World Cup on him. A correction, the narrator of the piece you just heard is Mokbil Yabaro, not Adil Akram. And in soccer news, soccer's international governing body, FIFA, confirmed today the sale of alcohol will be banned at all eight stadiums. The decision reverses an agreement between FIFA and AB InBev, Budweiser's parent company, which reportedly paid $75 million for the exclusive rights. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The warring parties in Ethiopia, including the government and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, have signed a cessation of hostilities under the auspices of the African Union. We applaud the parties for their commitment to peace and reaching this agreement, declared State Department spokesperson Ned Price. The United States remains committed to supporting this African Union-led process and to partnering to advance peace in northern Ethiopia. We've invested so heavily in this process because we believe it's the most opportune and effective mechanism through which uh, to achieve a cessation of hostilities, uh, to help enable the delivery of much-needed humanitarian assistance to the people of northern Ethiopia, uh, to the people of Tigray. Along with the violence that has raged in recent weeks, we've seen reports of human rights abuses and atrocities, said spokesperson Price. It's our hope that this cessation of hostilities will see an end to those reports and ultimately the underlying abuses and atrocities that we've seen. The United States commends the parties for taking this initial step to agree to end the fighting and continue dialogue to resolve outstanding issues to consolidate peace and bring an end to almost two years of conflict. We welcome the unimpeded delivery of humanitarian assistance and the protection of civilians that should result from implementation of this agreement. The United States remains a committed partner to this AU-led process and to our collaboration with the UN, IGAD, and other regional and international partners to support implementation of this agreement. We welcome the statement of Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy expressing gratitude to the AU and share our support for his desire for an enhanced partnership to support reconstruction and development for all communities in northern Ethiopia affected by the conflict. The United States will continue to support the implementation of the November 2nd cessation of hostilities and efforts to achieve a lasting peace. Work remains, but progress is promising and gives the Ethiopian people reason for hope. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, John Walker, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.
This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays.